Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Oz Movie Geek Podcast. I'm your host, Pado. Just a bit of housekeeping first of all, guys. If you could please give me a review and rate the podcast down below, that would be fantastic. And share it with your friends if you if you want to, if you like what you're hearing. That would be fantastic. It'll help me out a fair bit. Um, and if you have any questions for the mailbag, that would be fantastic. Uh, send them through to ozmoviegeek at gmail.com. And yeah, we'll have a mailbag up and running shortly. Uh, so on today's episode, I'll be reviewing Toy Story 4 and Shaft, the 2019 sequel reboot of the popular 80s show and popular film that came out in 2000 with Samuel Jackson. I'm not really sure uh, which way that one falls, but yeah, we'll be reviewing both of those. I will hopefully have a Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler review up by the end of the week. I went and saw that one last night, so hopefully we'll get that one done shortly as well. But I thought, why not start with Toy Story 4 and Shaft? Because, you know, Toy Story 4 has been out for a couple of weeks now, and Shaft, everyone was hankering to hear my thoughts on that one. So let's get stuck into it with Toy Story 4. Um, so Toy Story 4 uh, is directed by Josh Cooley. Uh, he's a first-time filmmaker as well. Um, and stars Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Annie Potts, Tony Hale, Keen Peel show up, Christina Hendricks, and Keanu Reeves. In the plot uh, synopsis, when a new toy called Forky joins Woody and the gang, a road trip alongside old and new friends reveals how big the world can really be for a toy. So heading into this film, I was not too excited. I made my thoughts on that pretty clear. I just think that the existence of this film, it felt... It felt like a cash grab, and it was a shame because I'm a huge fan of the Toy Story films. I love 1 through 3, um, or 1, 2, and 3. Um, I love all three of those films. They're fantastic, especially Toy Story 3, actually. Probably had a bigger connection with that one out of the three, to be honest. Um, I just like the way that it wrapped up, and I love the themes that are on display in these films. It's what Pixar does best. And I was very, I suppose, skeptical about it because I, I, yeah, I, I just wasn't too sure on what this film was going for. It looked a bit ridiculous. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the trailers. I also thought that yeah, its existence felt unwarranted. So heading into it, I wasn't really in the right mindset, I suppose. That's why it's taken me a while to go and see it. But I can safely say that this is a very, very good film um, and very enjoyable Josh Cooley, as a first-time director, does a pretty remarkable job here. Of course, he has, you know, a, a great group at Pixar looking over him with Andrew Stanton serving as a screenwriter, Lee Erkridge still floating about, and Brad Bird, of course, creatively involved as well in the company. Um, there seems to be a great blend of old and new here, and I think that's the theme that's that's going on, like it mentions in the plot synopsis. I think that's, you know... Um, sort of, I suppose, moving forward into that whole un un unexpected wave of, um, I don't know, the future, I guess, putting it plain and simple. It's just acknowledging the past but still moving forward to the future. And I really, really enjoyed that aspect of the film. Um, and I really like the way that that's handled. We see Woody here as more of a father figure, not only to Forky but Bonnie, of course, who owns the toys now. Um, in a really nice sequence at the start of the film on Bonnie's first day of kindergarten. She's not having a good time and Woody's pretty much overseeing everything that's going on and helping out where he can without getting too involved. 
And I really liked that aspect of the film. I thought it was handled quite well, and I really enjoyed seeing Woody in this light. It was just, it's an evolution of his character of being, I suppose, yeah, turning into a father. And his dynamic with Forky as well was quite enjoyable. Because Forky was one of the things I was very, very hesitant about because he looked ridiculous and stupid in the trailer. But I think Tony Hale did a great job voicing the character, but I liked the character as well. Um, It's sort of that... You know, trying to find your way and understanding who you are, sort of thing, and that's that that's a general a general theme that's present here as well. And I I, I did really enjoy that and the dynamic between Woody and Forky as well. The animation is amazing, and I think it's the best that Pixar's ever been in general. There is a photorealistic uh, aspect to the environments and the backgrounds that Pixar started working with in two thousand and fifteen's The Good Dinosaur. And they did a really beautiful job of uh, capturing these environments and making them feel very real. There's a scene at the very beginning of the film that's a flashback sequence to when the toys were owned by Andy. And it's a rescue sequence of one of the characters um, who's been left out in the rain after being played with. And I really, really loved the way that it was animated. It looked fantastic. It was absolutely beautiful. And I, I like the evolution of the Pixar animation. You watch Toy Story 1 in comparison to this, it's just the textual change of a lot of the environments and the characters as well. They feel a lot more realistic. There was even little details on uh, Buzz and Woody as well. Uh, One of the stickers on Buzz, you can see from just being played with and used that it's um, it's starting to peel off and I really like those little details. It was just really, really nice and it made it feel more authentic. The voice cast were fantastic. Tom Hanks and Tim Allen again shine. It's just their relationship in their chemistry there. Um, I just really like the two characters. Buzz and Woody have been iconic for years now and they just work so well together and I really, really enjoyed seeing them together. I thought um, most of the scenes as well with uh, Key and Peele um, as these two new plushy toys, they were fantastic. They were definitely the funniest part of the film. And I really enjoyed seeing those two together. And they paired them up nicely with Buzz for most of the movie. And I thought that was quite entertaining to see as well. Um, Just that back and forth because Buzz is an idiot. And it's just really nice to see, I don't know, just just playing to your strengths. And they definitely play to the strengths there of those characters being the comedic relief and providing the witty banter as well. And I really enjoyed that. And Keanu Reeves as Duke Kaboom. Um, is fantastic. He is so, so funny. Um, and I really liked hearing his voice there as this Canadian stuntman toy um, that is just re- yeah, really funny. He had some great moments and I really liked seeing him. The Keanu Sance is real um, and he's having a fantastic summer at the box office. Um, the story, probably my biggest concern, as I mentioned, heading into it, um, it just felt like it was unwarranted. But I think that they do a very good job of just incorporating the different elements and making it feel that it's a, it, it could work as an additional finale, like an epilogue, I suppose, to Toy Story 3 in that original trilogy with Andy. But it also serves as a launching platform if they wanted to go a different direction with these characters, if they continue. I kind of hope they don't, but if they do, uh, I'm all for it because I feel like they're, they've proven themselves now that they can make the story work. And yeah, the emotional beats hit hard. I found myself pretty pretty emotional towards the end of the film. It was just a really nice um, send-off, I suppose, to a few of the characters without getting into spoilers. I think it was just handled really beautifully, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, there is a nice little tribute um, to the great Don Rickles, who voices Mr. Potato Head as well. 
just a little shot towards the end of the film where it zooms in on one of the characters and it starts with him and moves to the other ones. And I, I, I could see what they were doing there and I found that to be quite nice because uh, Don Rickles, of course, passed away before he could record his lines for Toy Story 4. And considering that voice of Mr. Potato Head is pretty iconic and Don Rickles in general is a pretty iconic figure, I thought that um, it was handled really nice. They used He only has a couple lines in the movie and it was definitely... Um, audio that they had left over from the other Toy Story films, but I, I did enjoy that little tribute and that they handled that with such um, such taste. It just it was very well done. Um, and Randy Newman's music as well was um, fantastic. I think we've come to expect it now in any Pixar film that Newman's involved in. Yeah, it's going to turn out quite beautifully, and I, the musical cues were, were quite beautiful. Score and, of course... Um, the songs as well, and I, I really enjoyed it. There's a nice little song montage when Forky keeps trying to throw himself in the trash because it's where he's from. He's from the trash, so he thinks that that's where he belongs. And I really did enjoy um, that montage with the music and Woody and, and Forky. It was quite nice and quite funny as well. Um, as, as for negatives, there are a couple I have. Uh, one... I wasn't a big fan of the fact that there was no Pixar short at the beginning of the film. Um, little complainants, not so much about the movie, it's just a creative decision, but I always liked the idea of the Pixar short in front of the film. We always get some really beautifully animated shorts with some, with some good stories as well, but uh, it's always a good leeway into the Pixar films, and it's, a, it's an icon, not only the lamp, of course, being one of the major icons, but the Pixar short as well so I was kind of disappointed not to see that there nevertheless there could be one on the blu-ray when it comes out but at the moment we don't have anything and yeah it was just noticeable but as far as complaints with the actual film I just thought the overabundance of characters made a few uh forgotten and thrown in the background we didn't get much of uh Jesse and Bullseye in particular in this film and I get it it's not their story as such but it would have been nice to see a bit more of them uh, and some of the new characters we were introduced to in the last film I was kind of hoping would show up a little more here especially considering the talented voices that are involved as well but we don't really get a lot of them here and I just think if there was if it made a bit of more of a case for some of these toys to be left at home and not bought on the road trip it might have thinned out the plot a bit uh, and yeah I also noticed too uh, this isn't a negative of the film but uh, there was no real antagonist in the film that there, there is uh, an antagonistic character I suppose to begin with but when we find out what's going on it's definitely not and I really like that I like more that the situation is the main focus of the story we don't really need an antagonist uh, Pixar's proven this before Inside Out doesn't really have an antagonist the antagonist being the situation being mental health being this conflicting emotion, Finding Dory the same, the uh, antagonistic uh, sort of character in that film is, I suppose, just the general theme and the, the idea of this mental disability as well. And here it's kind of the same. It's the situation. It's the race against the clock. That's the, their hurdle. That's what they're trying to get over. And I, I really enjoyed that. I, and I think it's, it, it's showing that a story can exist without having a main antagonist or a villain. Of course, a good villain always makes a story more entertaining, but it's such a, yeah, it, it doesn't need to be there. And considering that so many stories don't, uh, that do have villains these days, I just don't think that we really needed a villain in this situation. I'm glad that there wasn't really one and it was quite refreshing to see. Overall, my verdict is I found Toy Story 4 to be heartfelt, sentimental and poignant. 
Uh, Toy Story 4 proves audiences wrong with Pixar's trademark humor, sentiment, and relevance. I love this movie and didn't think that I would. And I'm going to give Toy Story 4 a 9 out of 10. Uh, definitely go and check this one out, guys. I'd say it'll be in cinemas for quite some time as there's not a lot of competition at the moment. Um, of course, Spider-Man opening up, but in the kids' department. Uh, the Secret Life of Pets 2 is kind of being forgotten about, which I'm glad. Uh, and Toy Story 4, yeah, it was a fantastic time in the cinemas and I definitely recommend getting out and seeing it if you get the chance. The next film I saw was the 2019 reboot slash sequel to Shaft. Um, I'm going to give a bit of background to this movie first. So this film debuted in America to a, a piss poor box office. It's made $17.8 million currently domestically, which is appalling. Uh, and it was expected to make $29 million on its opening weekend. That was the early box office prediction anyway. So I think that the New Line Cinema thought that there was going to be a lot more of an audience engagement here and they thought that was going to make a lot more money, but it obviously hasn't and it's fallen, it's fallen into obscurity. No one's talking about this movie. Uh, critically, it was a bit of a bomb too. I think it's sitting in the 30s at the moment, 34% maybe. Uh, so a lot of people weren't really talking about this movie and I think New Line saw the re response and the results in America and decided to chuck this thing on Netflix, uh, selling the rights for its international dis distribution to Netflix. So in Australia here, we got it last Friday on Netflix. And this must have been a decision made pretty much based on the uh, poor box office results in America as it was on my local theatre's coming soon website up until recently. So... It has pretty much been forgotten about, and I think for pretty good reason, but we'll get into that. So this film is directed by Tim Story, who was behind the Fantastic Four uh, monstrosities in the mid-2000s, and uh, the ride-along films as well, which are fantastic. They're not, but I, it's hard to convey sarcasm over a microphone. Uh, the cast consists of Samuel Jackson, Jesse T. Usher, Richard Roundtree, and Regina Hall. And the plot follows John Scharf Jr., a cybersecurity expert with a degree from MIT, who enlists his family's help to uncover the truth behind his best friend's untimely death. So, Shaft. Um, I did not like this movie very much, but I can understand if there was some kind of understand understand if there is an appeal to this film. I think that it would it would play well to specific audiences. I love Samuel Jackson a lot, and I think he was quite good in this movie too. His trademark charm is on display here, and I really, really enjoyed him. And I think without him, yeah, I, I don't know if this movie would have been watchable. Um, given uh, given his, I suppose, reputation of um, the motherfuckers and the just his language in general, uh it makes the film so much more enjoyable to hear that. And I really enjoyed seeing him on screen uh, doing his uh, routine, I suppose, at this stage. But it's a given now at this point that he's going to be the best part of most movies that he appears in. Uh, and I just really, really enjoyed him um, in this movie, plain and simple. And 71 years old, he's still going pretty strong. I really like the neo-noir tone as well that Story's going for. I like the blend of music in some sequences and the way that he captures the Harlem nightlife. Uh, I, I thought that was done very well and it was something I wasn't expecting because he's such a flat filmmaker. And that's no offense to him because he turns a profit. People go and see his movies shaft aside. So he's obviously doing something right. But here I just felt 
that he did something that was a bit different. And I really liked the way that he captured the nightlife. And that's a big, big plus in my books is when you, you capture that tone and that feel. It just gave that 1980s cop show feel. And I really enjoyed that. The story itself um, is quite entertaining, but it does take a bit of a backseat in the later half of the film. There's a good 25-minute portion where I was watching it thinking, why are they not doing what they're supposed to be doing? They're investigating a murder. Like, what is happening? They've completely forgot about this this plot. Um, characters show up for entertaining action sequences. There's one not very well shot at all, but uh, Samuel Jackson goes to meet Regina Hall, who's his ex-wife, uh, In he finds out that she's going on a date with this other gentleman. So he goes to meet meet them unexpectedly at a bar or the restaurant that they're at, and an action sequence ensues after that. But I found that scene to be quite entertaining. It was poorly shot or whatever, but... I did enjoy seeing Samuel Jackson uh, and his witty banter with Regina Hall because I thoroughly enjoy her as well and I thought they bounced off each other quite well. Um, but that's pretty much as far as the positives go. I just think that this film is not very good and there's quite a few reasons as to why. I think Tim Story's use of flashbacks in this film feel outdated as well. I understand it's sort of going for that cop trait of the 1980s and as an homage, it, it does work to a certain extent, but as far as the progression of the plot and the film itself, it's not overly hard to follow. So I feel like f flashbacks don't really need to be there. Um, it does a good job at the start of the film to establish who Shaft is and what the go is, and it goes through like a, um, a time jump through certain years of um, John Shaft Jr., played by Jesse T. Usher, like growing up. But I and I think that that's good enough for me. I don't really need the flashbacks and that sort of thing. I just think that it feels very, very outdated, and I don't think that it really fits with the film. Uh, there's weird sound choices as well. There is over-the-top sound mixing, uh, like the sound choices of guns being fired, guns being reloaded, the shutting and opening of doors. It felt like it was a film from the late '90s. It was just very poor sound choices. It kind of surprised me. I didn't think that we would still get that sort of thing in this modern era of film, but apparently not. And Shaft approves that because there's some really weird sound choices here. The musical choices too, uh, some of it's good. Uh, when it plays the original theme from the TV show, which I'm not very familiar with. I've seen the odd rerun, but I just found that some of the musical choices to be really, really strange, especially in a nightclub sequence. It goes from this 80s nostalgic music to them playing modern rap and, um, you know, house music and I just found it to be very strange I also think that Jesse T. Usher is terrible um, easily the weakest part of the film is his performance he is absolutely shocking and I I don't want to shit all over the dude because he could be a really nice guy and whatever but as far as him performing in this movie I just don't understand he's very very he's wooden it feels like he didn't know the script because there's certain times when his delivery is that flat that he's waiting for someone else to, for Tim Story, the director, to say to him, no, 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 deliver that again. And playing against Samuel Jackson, who is so charismatic, I just found him to be a, a, a wet blanket. He was just very bland and boring. And when Samuel Jackson's bringing so much to the film, it's such a shame to see Jesse T. Usher just doing his thing. Just It felt like regular routine, and it was very, very boring to watch. Uh, and he was definitely... Yeah, I, I don't know if... I can't say I've seen him in too much else, but I don't think that he 
was fantastic and I found him to be yeah quite bland and probably the worst part of the movie. As I mentioned, the music was, at times, it felt like they were using stock action uh, music in some of the film sequences, especially the slow motion sequences. It just felt very, yeah, like we shouldn't be getting that sort of music still in today's cinema. And yeah, I just found it to be very off-putting. As I just mentioned, the slow motion, um, it's an overused action genre trope, and I think it can fuck right off because I just think that it was so... It's such a outdated technique now. In the early 2000s, they used a lot of it in the post-Waifu era of The Matrix. It was it went from Waifu back to the over-the-top slow-motion sequences. I think 300 really bought that technique in where it was the slow-motion speed-up uh, type action sequences. Here, it's just slow-motion, and Michael Bay used to absolutely adore using this, and he still does, in his Transformers and his action sequ- uh, Transformers movies and action sequences in general. And here, these sequences just feel very outdated, and they just don't work, and it comes off very cringy, and I was not a fan of it at all. And I th- there was also these weird emotion, uh, forced emotional beats at the end of the film too. I... I'm okay with emotion in these type of movies when it's it feels earned and it feels like it serves a purpose. But here, I just don't really know what they were really going for. Uh, there's a sequence at the end where we think that John Shaft is dead and he's been shot. But the next scene, he's awake and alive and well in the hospital. And it was playing for this emotional detail, I suppose, but it just felt so forced and unnecessary. Uh, there is an entertaining sequence so, uh, that precedes that, that leads into the film's credits where the three generations of Shaft are walking through the traffic wearing the same clothes. And I found that to be quite funny, Richard Roundtree giving the, the bird to the, the oncoming traffic. That was quite entertaining. But before that, yeah, the weird emotional beats towards the end of the movie, it goes for like two minutes and it does not feel earned and also feels very forced and could be removed entirely I feel like the scene exists just so all of our characters can be together at the end of the movie in the hospital room. But yeah, very, very strange. I'm done talking about Shaft. There's not a lot to talk about. I just thought I would get a review up because this movie's dropped on Netflix and not a lot of people know about it. But I think if you are a fan of the 2000 film with Samuel Jackson, you might like this one. I don't really have a connection to that film. Like I said, I've watched the odd episode of the uh, 1980s show with Richard Roundtree, but... This film really wasn't on my radar and I probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to see it uh, if it wasn't on Netflix, but it was there, so I watched it and it was, nah, it was okay. I can't say I can recommend it to anyone, but maybe if you're a fan of the movie or the TV show, you might want to check it out. My verdict for the film, Jackson's charm carries this this movie. Tim Story's direction is flat and unenergetic. Sure, he captures the Harlem nightlife well, but the boring characters and bland direction make this film feel like a misfire. It's such a shame. I was hoping that maybe for something maybe a little bit better, but it just wasn't. Uh, I'm going to give this one a 4.5 out of 10. So that's it, guys. Uh, that brings this episode to a close. Sorry, it's a quick one, and some of the uh, audio might be a bit off as I am recording in a different location. But... Yeah, I just wanted to talk about Toy Story because I did enjoy myself a lot more than what I was expecting and Shaft is a thing, so I thought I might talk about it as well. Thank you all for listening. Like I said at the start, please rate and review this podcast if you can. That would be a great help to me. Uh, It just helps me get noticed among the other podcasters that are out there and hopefully grow the audience so I can do this a bit more. 
Um, and yeah, if you like what you hear here, share it with your friends too. That would be fantastic. My next review, as mentioned, will be Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler review. I did see it last night. I'm just going to write down my thoughts and yeah, and we'll talk about it. But that's about it for the time being, guys. So thank you all for listening and until next time, peace. Thank you.